0: Listen, if you had a last huddle with your family, if you had a last huddle with your spouse, uh, with your children, if you have one last huddle, it was the last time you're going to get together, what would you impart on them? This coach said, I want you to be gooder, and I want you to make the other team cry. What would you impart to them? What would you tell them in the last huddle you had with them? There are last huddles that happen all the time. We just don't really know they're the last huddle. For example, the picture we're going to show you on the screen is from December of 2009 when the Florida State Seminoles, I hate to have that word come out of my mouth, when the Florida State Seminoles, they had their finished their final practice at the Gator Bowl week in Jacksonville. And they had their final game with Coach Bobby Bowden after 34 years of playing there. The defensive coordinator was the last person to speak in that huddle, and then he brought up the chaplain, and the chaplain urged all the players to come forward and put as many hands as possible on Coach Bowden's shoulders and back. There may never be another coach like Coach Bowden, the chaplain, said later. I almost feel like I'm an explorer who saw the last snow leopard. The players put their hands on Coach Bowden and then on each other, and it went out in concentric circles, and the chaplain prayed a prayer of thanksgiving over them. We thank God for giving us Coach Bowden the loyalty, his love, his legacy. Quarterback Christian Ponder later said years later. I think the message that the chaplain was trying to tell us was that we were blessed to have the coach. And it seemed like a perfectly normal practice until then. Tight end Anthony Porterfield said this. By the end of that, I was a wreck. I got emotional. It hadn't hit me yet that this would be my last practice with coach. The very last practice often is not the one that you saw. No one plans ahead to know what the last time you talked to your grandparent would be. The last time you talked to your father or mother. The last time you talked to your spouse. But Jesus had this opportunity to have one last huddle. We're going to look at that today. We look at John chapter 13, verses 3 through 15. I encourage you to have your own Bible to grab it and look at it because we're not just going to look at it like the story. We're going to look at it like a coach. What was Jesus trying to coach? None of these may apply to you, by the way. This was done months ago. The sermon wasn't like, I got to tell these people at First Baptist a couple things. But today is the time to share it. It may be useful for you to hear these lessons because you're mentoring someone else. It may be useful to hear them because they apply to you. An artist named Rembrandt drew this drawing that you see on the screen in the 1600s. Not the Rembrandt you know, but another artist named Rembrandt. You notice it has all these sketchy edges, but picks up the idea of Jesus washing feet. And that's sometimes how we feel like we come to church, that there's a sketchiness around it. Like we think we know what we're supposed to know, but we don't know what we're supposed to know. And so he feels kind of sketchy all the way through it. Our goal is to sit down in Scripture to say "If what Jesus did, he did on purpose. He wasn't making it up as he went along. He did it on purpose. And so let's read this Scripture today. You'll see it on the screen. If you could rise with us as we walk through this Scripture today, you'll see the verses on the screen. And then we'll pray and ask God to bless our gathering. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, And that he had come from the father and was going back to the father, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He Came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you'll understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not only wash my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, the one who's bathed doesn't need to be washed. Except for his feet, he's completely clean. Then moving to verse 12. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your teacher and your Lord have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that we would learn from your coaching this plan you have, that it would feed into our lives and then we would figure out maybe the plan you have for us as well. Bless us in this time in our word that we would grow and prosper from it. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seed. I'd encourage you, again, if you have your own Bible or grab the Bible in the pew in front of you, keep you out. I like to write in my Bible when things come up. And there's a couple things you may have missed. I want to bring some of you that are old enough, prior. remember when in 1974 to 2000, uh, about 14, when Burger King had this plan called to have it your way advertise it, have it your way. And you go, you can have it your way. All these advertisers, I looked this a couple weeks ago about all these advertisers coming at Burger King. You could walk in that place and you could have a burger your way. Here's the actual advertising premise. You have, this is what Burger King wrote, and it explains the generation you live in. You have the right to have what you want. Exactly when you want it. You are today's special. We may be the king, but you, my friend, you are the almighty ruler that we measure things by. Now, if you haven't bumped into people that live in that kind of world, we need to get you out of your house a little bit. But it's nothing new. Jesus did the same thing in the middle of his ministry. He shares this verse, both in Matthew 7 and in Luke 11. He shares this verse we have on the screen. He says, what could I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another. We played a flute for you, you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't weep. John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he probably has a demon in him. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and you say, look, he's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Look at that verse. I've been doing contemporary worship enough to know that the struggle that we have as we glorify God with new songs is the top of that verse. We did it to you today. The first song we played for you was slower than normal. Because we wanted people not to sing, but to confess. The second song we sang was faster than normal. You're probably going, wait, why am I singing so fast? That was the only fast song you were going to get. Because we don't believe worship is audience dependent. It's us helping you to worship by leading you. And we're not going to be the people that said, we played a sad song. Why didn't you cry? We played a fast song. Why didn't you clap? Nope. We will just worship and leave it in your plate to do what your mouth and your heart says to do. And if during worship your mind says, I don't like this song, it's too slow, that's what you get out of worship. And during that worship you say, I don't even know what's going on, but I'm just going to praise Jesus and wait till the chorus comes. (laughs) (laughs) Happens all the time. Like, I don't even know where they're going with this. He won't, he won't. It's okay if your worship is just three words out of the song. Jesus saw it in his generation say, well, all you're doing is begging to be entertained rather than to grow. Every tool you have has two sides to it. If I give you a hammer, some of you are really likely to put that nail in wonderfully. I give some of you the hammer, you're really likely to hit your thumb. Some of you, I give you a cell phone. You're really likely to use it to have podcasts that encourage your faith and scripture on there and a Bible on there. Others, it trains you. And whatever you say, it comes up as an ad, and you follow that rabbit trail away from Jesus into a world that says you can have it your way whenever you want it. And Jesus knew this was his last huddle before he sent these guys out to do pragmatist ministry. He talked to them one by one. He speaks to actually John from the cross. he gathered gather again after the resurrection, but they were just about ready to have the most traumatic event of their life. The guy they were following crucified and beaten up. He said, I have one last time. What do I show them? In a world full of activity, we often prescribe how she, people should respond. I played a flute for you. Why didn't you dance? I just told you my sad story, boss. Why aren't you crying? Spouse, I want you to respond this way. Children, you should respond this way. That only gives you short term and unsatisfying answers. Grab your scripture and let's walk through what the hurdles are that Jesus was walking through in the huddles. Here's the first thing that Jesus walked his disciples through. And I believe from the writing, they only found out this later the incredibly revealing habit of impatience these are people that have no sense of timing and one of these may be you none of them may be you you may have to put these in your pocket and say i'm going to bump into people like this and i'm going to mentor them in this way no sense of timing i measure my present without any perspective i don't understand why my wife is mad at me i told her what the answer was last night and she should be happy to have heard it from my mouth I don't understand why my boss doesn't give me the raise that I want. Because I want it, I want it, I want it. Sure, I take a little more vacation time than he wants me to. Jesus knew his disciples had no sense of timing. Look at verse 3. What Jesus actually knew. Jesus knew three things, and it took everything in me not to lift my fingers when we're reading Scripture together. Because when I go through Scripture, if there's a certain idea, I just mark it off as a different idea. He knew three things, and these are fundamental to your walk as a believer. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. He knew that he had come from God, and he knew that he was going back to God. Do you know those things as a believer? Or you just kind of hear people talk about those things. Do you think that's actually your house that you're in? That is from the father and he can take it whenever he would like to. Do you think you own your family that you made them? No, that's a gift of God. God made them and trusted them to you. Do you think this is your church? No, this is the father's church. And he will rise it up and cause it to fall as he deems fit. Jesus knew everything comes from the Father's hands. He comes to the Father's hands. And, which is the most disturbing thing, we don't do U-Hauls at funerals. When you are done with the legacy of your life, we will put a body in the grave. Nothing more. Jesus knew those things. He knew what time it was. He knew it was the last time he was going to be with these people. You have parents only a certain number of years to impact your children until they go out in the world. Is that your primary investment right now? Or are you chasing other things? You have grandparents only a certain number of years until those grandkids well, so, ah, eh, grandma's fun, but she's kind of silly and into Jesus stuff too much. You have workers only a certain amount of time at that work until you walk out with a golden watch or whatever they give you. Do you know what time it is? The mark of immaturity is echoed in the words of people that walk into a place and say, you know what you should do? Or you know what they should do? Or you know what the church should do? What you have to do is reset that clock inside of you. Jesus knew it wasn't his stuff. He wasn't going to keep it, and he was going to leave them. You should, they should, the church should. Immature people becomes his plan, his will, his way. And Jesus went right to the garden afterwards and showed him that. Right to the garden and said, if you can take this thing away from me, this plan kind of stinks. Me dying, me suffering. Lord, if there's any other way, any other way... But not my will. Your will be done. How are you with your timing? Because Jesus knew what time it was, therefore, he did the next effective thing. Here's the second thing he did he revealed this kind of wavering line of impurity that we have in the church as believers. We lose our sense of progress after you get bumping into church people too long because we know how to dress right. We know what words not to say. The other sins that are in the Bible, we just kind of push to the side. Those other verses, we just push to the back. As long as you come in and say, how are you blessed? And as long as when somebody says something weird, do you say, I'll pray for you. You're good to go. We have this wavering sign. We forget the progress that happens when sinners get saved. And we measure our neighbors without mercy. While we measure ourselves with grace, the sins in those people need to be fixed. My sins are fine. Look at verse 4, the ending of that verse we just had up there. Jesus knew who he was, and you, you know what he did? He rose from the supper. I know that is shocking words. Carnal Christians that I speak to all the time tell me about how they're not being fed. I'm just not getting fed. And the truth is, they're not being used in the kingdom because they missed this last huddle with Jesus. Because they never get away from the food. They never do ministry. They just stay there and feast and feast and feast. And when you feast, you get bloated and the food loses its flavor. It's only when you've been desperately serving and beat up by the world that you come in and a verse in Leviticus raises your heart just as much as John 3.16 because you're so famished for the word. Jesus left the food behind to see real change. Can you stop self-feeding to be a servant? It gets worse. I'm sorry. It gets worse. Look at the rest of verse 4. Then he laid aside his outer clothes... I took a tile and tied it around his waist. The second thing we often hear in ministries most often is, I'm not being fed by this ministry. I want to be fed more. The second thing we often hear is, is hey, I'm just not comfortable. I'm not comfortable with that. And so Jesus says, you want to see uncomfortable? I'm going to get nearly naked I'm going to take off everything that gives me honor on the outside. I'm going to take off my my outward clothes and I'm just going to wrap a towel around my waist. In order to be effectively used, Jesus had to be incredibly vulnerable. I got to take off this thing that makes me look so great. In order to be effective, have an effective impact, Jesus had to be incredibly dishonored. He walked up to these guys with just the towel around him. Verse 5 shows what he does. And so again, this is not Jesus doing this on the fly. It's his last huddle. What do I do to show these disciples how they're going to have to survive for the next 50 years of their life? He poured water in her basin and he began to wash their feet. Jesus solved the only problem in the room. The only problem in the room was dirty feet. Okay, I hate feet. Rico and that ministry that we served often on the last night they say, "Hey, do you want to do a foot washing?" And my answer, "No." We were with some evangelical I Luther- <laughs> you when it's time to What I'm praising the Lord. They go, "That's it." You can. I'm like, "Let's go upstairs." There's water basins over there, and you have icky feet. Let's go up and read the Word of God. Let's get away from So no way I, I, are we going to close this worship service with beautiful music, and then the praise team will come out with water to wash your feet. The difference was the only problem with these people was their feet. That's the only thing that was dirty. You've probably worked along somebody that's worked outside, and they need more than their feet washed. You can smell. Carnal Christians point out the sins in others. They never kneel down to help them clean them up. We hear the immature say all the time, and this isn't in church. This isn't a church sermon. This is, again, this is months ago. This is worked through. I hear people say this all the time. If I stood up, up, if I took charge and they listened to me, things would change. All the time. Very rarely do we have people come into church, businesses, or organizations saying, how can I serve? Hey, can I kneel down here? Hey, I'd love to help out, but what's my title? What's my title? Then I'll help out as long as I have a title. There's a huge conflict when we say, no, first kneel and solve the only problem we have. Um, I uh, the the outreach we have on Friday night. I do not promote myself as a staff member of the church or even a pastor, and shockingly, as young men do, we had a young man that got kicked out this week. Happens every other week. You get a warning with a technical, second warning, you get kicked out, and they come back the next week, usually happy. This guy left, and about 20 minutes later, Mama came back. Mama came back, stepdad came back, older brother who's only related through the stepdad dad came back, and little kid came back. And I had to make a decision right there. Is my first conversation with them going to be, welcome, my name is Pastor Sean, what's your problem? Or was I going to say, Hannah, good luck with the gym? Uh, no. <laughs> well, were we going to walk out into a little hallway and say, how can I help you? How can I help this kid to know that you can't just fight random people because eventually you're going to have someone bigger than you? How can I let this kid know that in the real world, when you talk back to an older adult, they may not give you a tech. They may pull out a gun. And Mama, who first came in to fix me, suddenly saw that I wasn't there to get her kid in trouble. In fact, I wanted to come back the next week. She suddenly saw, and she lives within walking distance of this church, suddenly saw she had a partner in the neighborhood to raise her children. And halfway through, and I always do this halfway through, I never start out this way, I say, hey, man, I don't need you to own these values because I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. I don't need you to own these values because I'm a pastor. Well, that was the end of it. The kid thought he was winning up until that point. Mama went, you talk back to a pastor? i was like, oh, man, he's getting spanked. Now he's getting spanked. Now he's getting spanked. spanked. Now he's getting spanked. You a pastor? I'm a pastor. Why don't you dress like a pastor? We're not doing anything right on Friday night, but you know what we're doing? We're keeping kids off the street between 4 and 8 p.m. We are solving the only problem we see right now. And sometimes in your family, you try and fix the person instead of kneeling down and solving the problem. How can I help you with this? The disciples were already bathed. They just came to the meal, and they just walked, and he said, there's only this one problem. And you know what? It requires me to kneel. Every church I've ever worked at has a pastoral job description that says, end other duties as necessary. We're joking at the first service. My duty this morning was to pick up a cockroach. That was the glory that God gave me. I've had other duties where I pick up trash, where I clean out toilets. You can walk into your boss and say, I'm the best employee, or you can walk into your boss and say, how can I help? You can walk in your marriage and say, I'm the man of the family, you better listen to me, or I'm the wife, I provide everything else, and you're just kind of decorative. (laughs) Or you can say, how do we do this together? Are you somebody that points out the sins in others, or are you somebody that kneels by and solves the only problem? Here's a third one really quickly. I'm sure this isn't you. The embarrassing boldness of the impetuous. I know. You're not going to come back to church if I use big words. Okay. Impetuous. Just think of impulse control. Someone that just speaks whatever comes out of their brain. They're just an impetuous. Whatever they say. No sense of place or permission. I speak my mind with or without permission. The next verse shows this. Peter had a problem with simply waiting his turn. We are talking about Jesus, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one to whom every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And he kneels in front of you and says, I'm going to wash your feet. And what has Peter said? You gonna wash my feet. And Jesus says, you don't, you don't understand. You'll know later. You ain't washing my feet. And Jesus says, all right, you want me to talk like who I am? I don't wash your feet. You have nothing to do with me. Normally, humans would stop there. Not Peter. Peter's the man of three times. Peter comes back again. Well, Lord, don't just wash my feet. Do the ceremonial washing we got to do for the last supper, for this, for this Passover meal. Wash my hands. Wash my head, Peter goes on to say. And Jesus says, man, I don't have to wash. You're already clean. The only thing that's dirty is your feet. The mark of immaturity is starting every set of words with, you know what I think, either in your spirit or in your mouth. March towards maturity has this mature understanding of relationships. Really, think of it this way. Courtesy is when you're out in public. You want passerbys to by. Passerby. You're in the line of the store. You're like, please go ahead of me, ma'am. And they go, thank you. Because you don't need to get involved with somebody who just bumped into the grocery store. You're not dating. You need to go into a public meeting in the city hall and say, what's on the agenda? Interesting. Anybody have a motion? Anybody have a second? Those are, those are courtesy things. Those are public things. If you come to our meeting tonight, you'll see. We have to have a motion in a second. You know why? Because we don't want people walking in and going, I got an idea. Let's all vote. That's comrades. That's your buddy. Some of you have mom and pop like that. They will tell you what they think, and they will not hold back. The problem is when we switch the two. We think you can talk to people in public like you would talk to them as your best friend. And Peter has this impetuousness. He forgot his position and his place, that Jesus was not doing this as a friend. He was doing that as his Lord. And Peter starts telling Jesus what to do. The convenience of technology in our hand, the comfort of our home, doesn't mean we have permission to speak the same way when we're out with people who haven't asked to be accountable or asked to be our friends. Immature people say, you know what I think, and most mature people, I was joking with the first service, I see this with some of our, our older members. somebody will come up with an idea. I got this idea, and they'll do this. Hmm. Interesting. Tell me more about that. Impetuous people will just start debating it as if you're best friends since high school. Well, I think that won't work because of this. Oh yeah, well, I don't think this will work for this. I don't think it'll work because of that. And adventure. Is that your thing? You speak out without recognizing the environment? Instead of saying, you know what I think, maybe saying, tell me more about that. What do you think? What do you think God's doing in this? Here's the last part that you see in our culture and you saw it in Jesus' culture. There's nothing new under the sun this misplaced struggle with identity people who have no sense of their self and they plan their habits without having a role model miss Hannah has a whole group of boyfriends on Friday night they're all like elementary kids but she has a whole group and they admire her they look up to her literally but they look up to her and they and they grab a... They, come on, come on, we're going to play baseball. And they look up to her. And Hannah has to reflect a character that's different than anybody else they've seen. Any sister, any brother. When you imitate people, you have to know their place. Look at the last verses here real quickly. Jesus, after he was done kneeling, resumed his place. Place. Verse 12. When He washed their feet and their outer garments. He resumed his place. Do you know Jesus' place? It is not a good friend that you get stories from. Jesus' place is he sits at the right hand of God the Father from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the one that is and was and is to come. He got done serving, and then he came back to his place and said, you call me Lord and teacher, then act like it. One of the struggles we have is people needing to express themselves. Here's what I do. I got to wake up in the morning. I got to make sure I feel fully expressed by the end of the day. And Jesus was get in these guys in a huddle and saying, you don't need to express yourself. You need to reduce yourself. I got the plan and I'm the leader, so let me take it and it'll fully work. It'll work out the way that I want it to work out and that'll be perfect. But disciples set Jesus in the right position eventually, eventually, because they were hanging out with him his teacher and then they saw him risen and they see him as Lord. The constant struggle you will have if you're going to do servant evangelism and servant lifestyle and servant conversation in the church and out of the church is whether you feel you fully expressed yourself or whether you feel you fully exalted Jesus. You can find expression of yourself through exalting Jesus, but if your goal is to have my will be done, it will never be thy will be done. And his last huddle to get them together, he kind of said, guys, I'm going to send you out. It's going to be really dangerous out there. How's your timing? Do you know that nothing's yours anyway, so you can use it and leverage it for God's good kingdom? How's your actions? Do you know you don't have to point out people know what's wrong? They know what's wrong in their life. They know. Let the Holy Spirit convict them. You need to be the person that says, how can I help you? I see you're struggling there. How's your mouth? And what's your purpose? One last huddle. Not hitting dingers and making the other team cry. But being willing to be vulnerable enough to kneel and see things change.